in the hills of Happy Valley, Oregon, welcome to Until We Meet Again, brought to you by the kind support of Cornerstone Funeral Services in Boring, Oregon, and friends like you. I'm Elizabeth Fournier. This radio broadcast is an expression of our common ground of mortality, because after all, we are all in this together. Today's reading is edited and adapted from a poem written in 1932 by Mary Elizabeth Fry. Do not stand at my grave and weep. I am not there. I do not sleep. I am a thousand winds that blow. I am the diamond glints on snow. I am the sunlight on ripened grain. I am the gentle autumn rain. When you awaken in the morning's hush, I am the swift, uplifting rush. Of quiet birds in circled flight, I am the soft stars that shine at night. Do not stand at my grave and cry. I am not there. I did not die. My guest today is Rob Gaskill, consummate gentleman and funeral director extraordinaire, the proprietor of Estacada Funeral Chapel in Estacada, Oregon. Rob is a classic example of a small town undertaker. He plays in the local band. He's active in a local church. He's president of the board of directors for a local hospice, and he lives right next door to the funeral home he owns and operates with his wife, Carrie. Rob, when you were just a youngster in the funerary world, you completed your training at 19. So as the youngest licensed funeral director in Oregon, how did that notoriety feel to you? At the time, I was pretty young, so I didn't realize that that was that big of a deal. But I started checking into this at um, 16 years old, and I went to Bateman Funeral Home in Gresham and asked a bunch of questions. So I've known I was going to do this since I was 16, and now I've been doing this for 35 years. So I, I uh, yeah, it was kind of an interesting time. So it's a calling, right? Because no one in your family does this. That's correct. All my families were more laborers and things like that. I knew I would never be good as a mechanic or a builder of any kind, but I always loved uh, counseling and medical stuff. And somebody made a joke one day about me doing this, and that's how I got started. And then what's your joke about singing? Oh, people who grieve around me enough, they don't need to hear me sing. <laughs> <laughs> so what does the day in the life of a small town funeral director look like for you? Well, it's uh, probably a lot more um, community events that I'm involved in with different people uh, and different organizations. I'm part of the Downtown Estacated Commission, which is part of the Main Street program, kind of revitalization of our downtown area. So I do a lot with that outside of my job. But everybody knows that um, if somebody dies, they come first. And so I leave everything else alone and then then hit that hard uh, and go, go to work. So sometimes, I, you know, there's a lot more paperwork involved than people think, but the, most of the time is spent with families and talking with them and doing paperwork and sometime with a deceased individual also. So you don't stop at the Starbucks, get your big mocha frappe grande and put your feet up on the desk and crack open the paper and look at the obituary section. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think any of us do that, but no. that's sort of the image of what we're doing. That's right. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't read the obituaries every day to see if my name is in there or anything. <laughs> so Estacada is pretty small. What's the population there? It's uh, at, I think it's right at 3,200 now, and it's, it's actually really growing over there. It is. So not growing enough to have another funeral parlor. You're the only one in town. Right. And, you know, I love that rich imagery of undertaking in a small town. 
I think the stories are really, really endless, and they often have these simplistic details that most people really don't know about. So for instance, many years back, I worked at a country parlor, and it was this real old-style mortuary in the middle of nowhere. It had a bathroom telephone. So the phone was in the bathroom right Mm -hmm. by the commode. In the event you were working alone and nature called, and then, of course, somebody else calls on the phone, you could be there to answer the phone, sort of like taking care of business while you were taking care of business. (laughs) I had a friend also who worked in a tiny funeral parlor in the Midwest, and it was the only thing in town that was open 24 hours a day, the only business that still had the light on, that still had somebody in it. So, of course, the switch for the bank alarm was actually there in the funeral home. So give me some small-town story you've got. Well, uh, kind of the same thing. My family and I could be eating dinner, and and Mrs. Smith would show up with her husband's clothes at my doorstep, and I'd have to take the clothes from there and do all that, and uh, I still do. And um, uh, I wouldn't have it any other way because you're as, as the the town mortician, you you uh, uh, it is your life, and being able to serve people, no matter where you're at the grocery store or whatever. Um, the, the funeral home's doorbell is also in my house, so if somebody comes in, I can run over there. There is a, a phone in the bathroom also. <laughs> and uh, and so when you said that, I thought, oh, yeah, well, yeah that, I got that got that going on. So people think it's pretty funny when they come over to visit and there's a, bath, a, a, a funeral home phone in the bathroom, but got to do business when you're doing business sometimes. You know, life goes on. It does. Yeah, and that's the thing about death is it is part of life. And it keeps going on. So if you are in the band, just playing downtown, doing your thing, um, does somebody ever say, oh, my gosh, that was the man who helped grandma? Often, you know, and being a mortician and a musician, as long as I don't get him confused, we're okay. (laughs) (laughs) So sound a lot alike. Yeah, so... um, uh, it's really nice uh, to for people to see that I'm just a regular person. I'm not some gory, creepy dude that's the undertaker in town, good evening kind of attitude. And, and I'm just a regular person that loves music, loves people, and enjoys life. Yeah, congenial guy. I think that really helps. I think the movies have made that profession look creepy. Mm-hmm. Um, they would always show undertakers of the small town showing up at the homes. They'd bring the black crepe ribbon and it would have some white, and they'd place it on the door or the bell knob. And that was the indication that death had answered and entered into the home. And that was supposed to be a deterrent for people to call or to ring the bell and to bother those who are mourning. And that undertaker might also be in his black suit and his stove pop, stove top hat, stove pop hat. How do we say that? Stovetop hat. That's right. Like, like Lincoln, that tall yeah. black thing. And he would have these ribbons, and maybe they'd be white crepe loop with a white ribbon if it was a child or a black with black if it was an elderly person. And ultimately, he would be that person who would just scoop onto the scene and show up. So now how that's translated into small town undertaker life is more like taping up the notice in the in the back door window at the Estacada post office, huh? That's right. Yeah, that's a very, if you don't put those notices up at the post office, believe me, I hear about it. And do your families request or do they just assume you're doing it? I always tell families that I will be doing that if they want me to. Not all families want that, but if they want that, then I, I make sure that that happens. So do you find that you're bringing people their favorite pie or do you find that they're assuming since you go to the same church, you're coming over with your prayer book or what also in the line of country funeral duty do you do that you might not find in a bigger city? 
That's a really good question. Um, I, I worked in Portland for many years, and I didn't know any of the families I was serving. I didn't, you know, you're just meeting people all day long, and, and uh, once they're gone, you never see them again. In a small town at the funerals and things, I end up being not helping uh, so much on the service as I am getting hugs from friends and saying hi to people and and that kind of thing. And that just didn't happen in Portland when I worked in Portland. So that, that would be the biggest difference. And um, they have my cell phone number. They don't have the funeral phone number necessarily. So it's all direct communication. And uh, I always tell people, I, I, if you have anything, I'm here for you. And I, I, no matter what time of day and night, if you need to talk to me, call me. I'm here for you. And um, that doesn't happen in the big city either. No, but that's not every funeral director. I consider you sort of that cool funeral director. You have that approachability from families, so that idea of being a neighbor and a friend and a, a person who plays their favorite music at the pub or somebody they sit next to in the pew at church. You have that call me anytime. I'm always here for you vibe. So I think that's a really important thing. And the community knows you. They see you around town. I think you hit it on the head when you said you're not that creepy guy from the movies. You're just that guy in your short sleeve shirt mowing the lawn. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so there is a rumor that goes around. I hear this occasionally that small town funeral homes will no longer be there. They'll be that large city corporate parlor and they can do the work. They can show up with their vans. They can bring loved ones into their care. They don't need to have that small funeral home anymore because it's probably not doing as much business. Or it's, uh, I guess, larger places, sometimes bigger cities say, well, that's not necessary because the mall isn't there. They can drive the half an hour to get to the mall or the skating rink or the movie theater. So why does a funeral home need to be there? So that'd be kind of a shame, huh? That would be really sad. Yeah, I think a lot of people would miss out on uh, having their their loved one cared for by somebody who knows their community. And if I don't know the family, somebody in the family knows me or a friend knows me that has recommended me. So um, that personal touch that we can have in a small town is very important. I think may be what would happen more so would be a situation where um, I would run the funeral home and have a side business on the side to so I would do both part time and not have uh, just a full-time funeral home. I can see that coming in the next 10, 15, 20 years or and something And you don't mean like, like coffin maker? No, no, not a coffin maker. Um, uh, I don't know what else I would do. I've only done this all my life, so I, I don't know what else that would be. <laughs> yeah, you have many other skills, obviously. I mean, being on a board of directors for hospice, and you're the president of the board. That's correct, right? for Mount Hood Hospice, yeah. Okay, so you've done that for many years. Yeah, so I've been on that board for 10 years, or since 2010, actually. And um, I've learned so much about um, how the uh, large nonprofit uh, business works and um, the extra care that can be given because they're um, a smaller hospice. And so their patient-to-nurse ratio is very small compared to the larger hospices and things like that. So. We can focus on how to serve the families better and not what is our bottom line and how are we going to make ends meet. So with hospice, now that is federally funded and can anybody receive hospice? Anybody can receive hospice. If you're on Medicaid, then there's there that's when the federally funded part comes in. If you're uh, 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 still a working person and things like that, your insurance will cover hospice also. But um, uh, 
not everybody can, not everybody has insurance. So we also have an indigent fund for people that do not have the money to pay for hospice. So we don't turn anybody away because of that. Well, I want to ask you that question that I think funeral directors get asked a lot. Isn't your job sad? You know what? It is at times, but I have the opportunity to serve people at the worst time of their life and walk them through a process that not anybody else gets to do. And it's a, just such an honor to be able to do that. Um, if uh, when, my, when I was serving my apprenticeship in McMinnville, my boss said, I said to him, how do you do this every single day? And then, oh, by the way, now you owe me a bunch of money. I just hated that. And he said, you know what? They need one person that is strong for them that's going to be able to help them through this time. You can't grieve with them. You have to be there. The, 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 you may be the only logical person in the room at the time mm-hmm. to walk them through this process. And so they're not paying you or, or you're not there for their, to, to grieve with them. doesn't mean there's times that I just don't get so sad because there's a lot of tragic deaths and a lot of tragic things and sad people. But again, don't ask me to work on your car or fix your light bulbs or anything else because I'm not that guy. But I do marriage counseling on the side. I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a marriage coach. Uh, so um, that is also wow. kind of falls in line with helping people at a tough time in their life. So you're not securing business by the couple that comes in and bickers over which casket to choose, and you think, aha, let me hand them my marriage card. That's not how that works. <laughs> no, that's not how that works. But I, I say, if you need me to, I can get rid of your husband. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, goodness. No, not really. <laughs> no, And we track people in the state of Oregon. Yeah, so that, yes, yeah very well. Yeah, no, I don't know how to get rid of people. <laughs> Even though you live by a river. Yeah, yeah, good. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so since you have the river and the beauty of being an esticate, it's such a beautiful, gorgeous gem out in Clackamas County. Um, How do you find that you distress? Do you ever just pop into your funeral van and drive down the hill to the Clackamas River and climb a tree or watch the water or throw a line of your fishing pole in? What do you do? So that's where my music and my love for people come in. I um, after meeting with some intense families for a while and, and uh, working with people for a long time, my release is hanging out with my friends, laughing uh, and joking about life and stuff. And, um, and then playing music has been a great release for me. In fact, this, uh, this Saturday night I'm playing at the Casadero. It's going to be a, a fun, fun thing. Um, so it, it, that's, been a, that's been a really great stress reliever for me. I find, too, that after so long, I, I kind of run out of steam. I have nothing to give people or very little left in my reserves. And going away for a week, uh, I can come back refreshed, ready to help people again. Yeah, I would say that there's a lot of names for these things. There's the compassion fatigue, mm-hmm. and there is even burnout. And some are generalizations, but some are also just the idea of, wow, if you're that caretaker, and a funeral director really is that, like you say, maybe the sane person, logical person, the one really holding people's hands and walking them through, there's a lot that goes into that. What your boss told you prior was interesting to me, that idea that you need to be sympathetic and you need to grieve but not really grieve with the family. How do you empathize with grieving people and still keep that professional persona going? That's a good question, too, because now being in a small town, I am actually um, uh, had a death this morning of somebody I know very well. Yeah. And so... Um, 
that that makes it very hard. But I've had to learn how to navigate through that again of um, if I didn't get choked up once in a while, there'd be something wrong. Yeah. Uh, and there's that line of where do you where do you keep that line um, going? And I think um, when you're working within your giftedness, whatever that giftedness is, you have the endurance for that and the ability to do that. And and moving to Estacada was a complete gift from God for me. And, it, you know, when your personality matches your lifestyle, that's pretty amazing. And not everybody gets that opportunity to do that. No. And I think, again, understanding that not only knowing that you have a gift, but using it and helping others with it. Fantastic. Very powerful. So probably another question that you could ask, which is just a miserable one, <laughs> is how do you deal with a baby who'd passed away, a small child who had left a family. That's such an unfortunate aspect of being a mortician. How do you possibly deal with that? Yeah, that is uh, that is a very common question. And um, because of my faith, I think a little bit, it really does help uh, knowing that this is not, the, the child is not there. It's, it is the body and that working with the 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 deceased baby is the easier part of it compared to meeting with a family who is just so wretchedly grieving so hard. And, and, um, yeah, it, it's a, it's a tough thing. And, and if I, if I never had to, uh, see a, and help a, a family that's lost a child, uh, that would be great because those, those do take a lot out of you. Uh, but on the other hand, what an honor that I get to walk through them, that process with them. And sometimes, as we both know, you know, that the deaths are tragically uh, ended by somebody else in the family, and they've had these horrible childhoods and bad things have happened. And I can only think he's he's with Jesus now. We don't have to, uh, uh, we don't have to um, grieve for him. It's just a sad, very, very sad situation. It's often said that the death of a child is so tragic that there's not a name for it. And if you think about it, mm -hmm. if you lose a spouse, you're a widow or a widower. If you lose a parent, you're an orphan. But there's no name for someone who loses a child. And I think maybe we just don't want to make up a name for that. That is, I've never thought about that before. That is, that's a really good point. True disclaimer, I got that from an episode of Six Feet Under. So I cannot <laughs> take credit for that. But I remember Brenda said that to Nate, who was the eldest Fisher's son, who was mm -hmm. a funeral director. And I thought, oh my gosh, you're right. I was, you know, had been doing this job many years by the time that series came on. And I thought, wow, that's really something to think about. Wow. Because time they say the, there's an adage that time heals all wounds. And mm -hmm. I think only sometimes that's true. I think in some cases, maybe if it comes to a baby or maybe comes to a small child, I've not been in the situation where I've lost a small child or a baby personally, but I wonder if you just learn to live with the grief and the sadness. You don't necessarily get over it. You know, I think that's very true for somebody to say, you know, and that's something we hear a lot, too, is is these people say the weirdest things to people because we all care and want to say something that's helpful for the family. And it comes out really wrong. And the best thing somebody could say, I remember when my dad was very close to death, a friend of mine came up to me and said, 
I don't even know what to say. I'm just so sorry. Hmm. And I thought, thank you. Thank you. That's what I needed to hear because I I didn't need to hear, um, is he a Christian? Is he this? Have you brought him to the Lord yet? Have you done these things? And how old is he? Well, how old does my dad have to be for it to be okay that he died or not okay that he died? I find myself asking people that too. How old was he? Well, that's kind of a question that really doesn't matter at that time. Sometimes, you know, it's just interesting. I'm so glad you brought this up because I think that's really important for people to understand who don't talk about death or dying or don't know many people that died. But I think telling somebody, oh, well, he's lived a long life or he's lived a good life. Yeah, that's a true statement. However, for the person who no longer has mom or dad or grandma or grandpa, that's not what you need to hear. You no longer have that person in your life. So the fact that they've lived a long life or they've lived a good life, well, darn it, what about me who doesn't get to have them at my wedding or see my child or be at the other end of the telephone when I pick it up? It's not very soothing. That's very true. And again, what I tell people is give them a hug. You don't have to say anything. You can just say, I'm here for you. Or you could give them a hug and say, I don't even know what to say, but I'm so sorry you have to go through this. And there's no no words of wisdom. You know, I had a funeral once that, that just really has stuck with me. Um, it was for a, a tragic death of a, a person who was hit by a car. And the pastor at the cemetery held up the Bible and said, you know, there's nothing in this Bible that's going to help you today. And at first I was kind of offended by that because all the answers are in the Bible. And he, then he just paused for a minute. He says, but let me tell you about God's hope and the hope of Jesus Christ. And I thought, wow, that was really incredible um, to say, I can't read you that Jesus uh, raised Lazarus from the dead because how is that helpful for my, my son who's deceased right now? Uh, but I can tell you about God's hope. That's really perfect. Um, I think that's probably the best thing you can say. I would have to say, ultimately, the worst thing is when you find out, this is just advice for those out Mm -hmm. there listening, when you find out someone has died, to say, oh my gosh, you're kidding. I I think that that is so (laughs) horrible. People have said to me, I know that was a natural knee-jerk reaction, but why would they think I just, I just told you my sister died. I, I, that was just so, because what am I supposed to say? No, I'm, I'm really not kidding. Or why would I, I don't know. That, that's, that's such a thoughtless thing. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of like, if you can't say, I'm sorry for your loss and make eye contact and be sincere, it's better just to say, I don't know what to say, but I'm sorry you're having to go through yeah. this. And I talk to families about this when, when we're doing this, um, is because, uh, it, I tell them that these people are going to say some really uncomfortable things to you, but just know that in their heart, they really do mean, mean well, like you could have more children or things like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, those are the things that people say and, and, and in their heart of hearts, they're really trying to be comforting and it just isn't. A woman who I was taking care of about 10 years said something to me, which I repeat often. I think it was so brilliant. She says, you know, I wish somebody would just say to me, I wish I could say something to take your pain away. If someone would just say to me, because they can't take my pain away, there's nothing right. they can say, but if they could just pause and say that, and I thought, oh, that's wonderful. So I, in turn, have said to people, 
I, I wish I could say something, and I sincerely mean it, and I'm mm-hmm. so thankful that they can register it and um, envelop that that's really what I mean. It's very true. Okay, a few minutes left, so let's have some fun, because mm-hmm. this is such a serious thing. What's <laughs> new at the funeral home? Okay, I wrote a blog post a couple years ago entitled that, and there's new customs and things that come out all the time. Right. I had a family that made a cheesecloth dress for their sister to be buried in. I had never heard of that. Mm -hmm. I also had listed the advent of the funeral selfie. I was finding more and more funerals (laughs) that I was directing. People would be in front of the casket making the peace sign, taking a picture of themselves. And I thought, well, that's new and unique and strange. Um, What are you finding as far as clothing choices at funerals? I think that we're becoming a very casual place. I had a visitation at my funeral home not too long ago. Somebody was wearing a bathing suit, but they had a bathing suit cover over it. So somehow they thought that was okay. And again, not to judge, but just to say, gosh, all the mourners in the room, you know, there's a real uncomfort that goes on there. So can you tell me um, something very unique you've seen in the funeral parlor that's just uh, something that wasn't done maybe 20 years ago when we were a little bit more reverent about this? (laughs) Yeah, it is interesting. (laughs) People used to think that, uh, you know, well, I don't want to be buried in a suit. You know, well, you know, you don't have to be buried in a suit. And when I started in 1984, everybody wore suits to funerals and and dressed, you know, what we would consider uh, funeral appropriate at the time. And uh, now it's really hard to, uh, you know, you don't know that they would ever be going to the funeral wearing their pajamas to the funeral or things like that. Uh, I just had that the other day carrying a big gulp, you know, so, um, (laughs) and uh, then, uh, um, but as far as dressing the deceased, uh, shorts and t-shirts, I've done a lot of, uh, and what it does though, the thing I love about it is it puts a smile on people's face because it's like, oh, this is who he was and he's not in a stuffy shirt and things like that and uh golf clubs and letters to them and toys and different things and a little memorabilia that just says that, that this is who he was and it just puts a smile on people's face what i've been seeing more and more over the last maybe five or ten years is the jimmy buffett funeral or the hawaiian funeral and everybody dresses in their fun floral shirts flip-flops and all that and it's a theme and everybody gets the memo and boy that one person who shows up wearing the black suit boy do they feel awkward <laughs> i've actually been <laughs> been requested to wear uh jeans and a and a or no shorts and a uh hawaiian shirt and flip-flops and i've i've done it just because nice. it, it's what the family wants yeah. my last uh, big funeral i had was all everybody had wear duck things and I had a hard time finding duck clothes for mm. um, the funeral because it was short notice and I didn't have any duck uniforms. You could have brought a gun and been a duck hunter. There you go. That would have been good. <laughs> but it was more the Oregon ducks than regular oh, ducks. Oh, damn yeah, that. Yeah, than Not that, the furry yes. friends. Got it, got it. <laughs> so a big deal for you is this year marks the 100th year anniversary of Estacada Funeral Chapel. Yeah. So I understand something pretty exciting happened recently. This exclusive piece of history arrived in your parlor? Yes, it did. We got the replica of Lincoln's coffin. And the difference between a coffin and a casket is uh, the shape. So a coffin is what you would consider what Dracula would be in the, the six-sided thing. And a casket is four sides. So that's the difference between a coffin and a casket. Um, yeah, it was very fascinating. We had over 200 people show up. Uh, had five classes from the school come out. It was really You're talking neat. about Malhood Community College Mortuary School. No, uh, eighth graders from oh our from our goodness. school. Cool. Yeah, they're just getting ready to learn about Lincoln, so wow. it was really good. And I had some history stuff for them to learn, and then they, and then we were able to. 
um, uh, get them comfortable with being in a funeral home. They've never been in a funeral home before and just find out that I'm just a regular guy that loves serving people. And I happen to have this really cool, uh, uh, coffin in my funeral home for them to look at of how things were done in history. It was really cool. And did you inspire anybody to be a junior junior funeral director? I pointed a few out that probably should be, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shiny shoes, or what was it? Yeah, it was their hair was just perfectly combed. <laughs> oh, I like they had the look. I love it. Yeah. Okay, quickly, tell me about The Undertaker and Friends. Oh, well, The Undertaker and Friends is a very important part of my life. That's our trivia team uh, on Tuesday nights at the Casadero. And uh, my team has uh, really uh, not done well lately, and so they're on probation right now. Um, so, uh, but yeah, we've had a lot of fun with that. And there's last week, this last Tuesday, there was 12 teams, and uh, we we're just all giving each other a bad time. We're having fun and trying to answer these really difficult questions. It was a lot of fun. You've been listening to KKPZ, 1330 AM, The Truth. Thank you to my guest, Rob Gaskill. And until we meet again next week, be excellent to each other.